medicine. Topping up your paediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. On today's episode, we're looking at intestinal malrotation and mid-gut volvulus. When the bowel goes around the twist. So, grab your cup of tea, a snack, and get ready for some learning all about malrotation and volvulus. We're going to start this episode in the ED. You're a doctor or one of the nurse practitioners and have been asked to assess little Eric, who is a one-month-old term infant, who's been brought into the ED by his mum. She tells you that Eric has been very unsettled lately in the last day and has been vomiting. In fact, she estimates he's vomited about 10 times in the last day. And come to think of it, some of those vomits have been bright green in colour. She's been trying to feed him with small amounts frequently, but this is just simply not working. He looks pale and he hasn't had very many wet nappies. He was completely well prior to this and his antenatal as well as postnatal history has been rather unremarkable. Eric has had no history of fever, diarrhoea or cough. On examination, he's slightly tachycardic and tachypnic, but this has no work of breathing associated with it. He is moderately pale and appears somewhat tired. His eyes are sunken but his oral mucosa is moist. His abdomen itself is soft, but you note that it is a little distended and seems to be tender all over. The bowel sounds are diminished. He's got no inguinal hernias and his testes are normal. An urgent abdominal x-ray is done. You see dilated stomach and proximal small bowel. You also note a paucity of bowel gas distal to the duodenum. An upper GI contrast study is then done urgently and in this you see a corkscrew sign along with tapering of the bowel to complete obstruction. Your concern here is for an acute mid-gut volvulus. So you put in an IV line, ensure that he's rehydrated with a bolus of normal saline and then you call the paediatric surgeons. That was stressful. I think we need to go back to a few basics. Let's start with a little bit of embryology. In normal embryogenesis, at about week six, the midgut grows too big and too rapidly to be accommodated by the abdomen. And so it herniates into the umbilical cord or a primary intestinal loop. At week eight, the loop itself rotates 90 degrees counterclockwise around the superior mesenteric artery axis so that the ilium is on the right and the cecum on the left. At week 9 to 10, the bowel then returns into the abdominal cavity, the small intestine first and then the colon. At about week 11, the intestinal loop rotates another 180 degrees counterclockwise to reach their final locations. The duodenum becomes fixed in its distal third and at the ligament of treats. The cecum is fixed to the lateral abdominal wall by peritoneal bands. In the case of malrotation, the rotation itself is incomplete. 
So the cecum remains in the epigastrium, but the bands fixing the duodenum to the retroperitoneum and the cecum continue to form. This results in large bands extending from the cecum to the lateral abdominal wall, crossing over the duodenum. The mesenteric takeoff remains in the epigastrium, and so this allows a space for a potential volvulus to occur around the mesentery. If we now look at the epidemiology of malrotation and volvulus, we see that malrotation occurs in about 1 in 6,000 live births, and most present less than a year of age, largely in the first month. Now, looking at mid-gut volvulus, or the acute rotation of the malrotation, this can occur at any time, but it most commonly presents in the first few weeks of life, and about one-third present before one month of age. However, older kids with malrotation can present at later life with acute volvulus. Let's head back to the clinic and look at how volvulus and malrotation can present. Let's first start with intestinal malrotation without volvulus. Symptoms from obstructing lads bands or occasionally intermittent volvulus is usually how these children present. Malrotation without volvulus has a child that is not overtly ill. However, they may have intermittent bilious vomiting. They may also have intermittent abdominal pain or chronic obstructive symptoms. Some of these children may be misdiagnosed as gastroesophageal reflux disease, solid food intolerance, malabsorption, GI motility problems, or functional abdominal pain. However, you should note that bilious vomiting in a child younger than one year of age should immediately raise the suspicion of an obstructive lesion, including malrotation with possible volvulus. Next, if we look at a child that presents with volvulus, this contrasts with malrotation. With volvulus, this needs urgent recognition and management, so the index of suspicion must be high as signs and symptoms are subtle early on, but the child can deteriorate fast. Classically, a child with volvulus presents with bilious vomiting. The infant may be irritable and have abdominal distension. Later on, there may be hemodynamic instability and bloody stool if there's bowel ischemia. And third space fluid losses and sepsis can occur, and this is caused by necrotic bowel. While malrotation can exist as an isolated condition, it may also be associated with other anomalies. These include congenital diaphragmatic hernias, congenital cardiac disease, especially seen in heterotaxy syndromes. Omphaloceles may also be seen in children with malrotations, and other conditions include gastroschisis, prune belly syndrome, intestinal atresias, biliary atresias, and Meckel's diverticulum. Differentials for a midgut malrotation in an infant include intestinal atresias 
and volvulus has a differential of necrotizing enterocolitis. In the oldest infant, malrotation may be misdiagnosed as intersusception. In the child, the wider differential for abdominal pain should be considered. We're now going to look at the investigation for a child that you suspect may have a malrotation or a volvulus. Abdominal x-ray in malrotation may be normal. However, it may also show a double bubble sign. And this is caused by the LADS band extending over the duodenum. Abdominal x-ray in a volvulus may show a gasless abdomen. There may also be evidence of perforation. However, a volvulus abdominal x-ray may be totally normal. Contrast study or upper GI contrast studies are the gold standard for diagnosis of malrotation. Here, we see incomplete rotation with the stunojejunal junction displaced to the right. Contrast studies done with a volvulus may show a corkscrewing at the duodenum or complete duodenal obstruction. Small bowel loops may also be seen on the right side of the abdomen. Abdominal ultrasound done in malrotation may show a dilated duodenum, again secondary to LADS bands. There is also inversion in the SMA and SMV relationship with the superior mesenteric artery on the right and the superior mesenteric vein on the left. In case of a midgut volvulus, an ultrasound may show a whirlpool sign. This is secondary to bowel wrapped around the superior mesenteric artery in a whirlpool-like pattern. While ultrasound may be strongly suggestive for malrotation without volvulus, its utility is more specific and sensitive for the diagnosis of volvulus itself. Or in other words, an ultrasound cannot exclude malrotation. If the ultrasound is positive for a volvulus, the patient should be urgently referred to paediatric surgery. If the diagnosis is not clear and the patient is stable, an upper GI series may be considered. But ultimately, if there's imaging that you find concerning for malrotation or volvulus, paediatric surgery should be consulted. It's time to manage some malrotations. So, let's have a look and how these children are treated. In those with malrotation and no volvulus, a LADS procedure is done. In this procedure, the bands between the cecum and the abdominal wall and between the duodenum and terminal ileum are divided to splay out the superior mesenteric artery and its branches. At the conclusion, the duodenum ends up in the right upper quadrant and the cecum in the left lower quadrant. So, a LADS procedure does not correct the malrotation. Rather, it broadens the narrow mesenteric pedicle to prevent a volvulus from occurring. The appendix is often removed in this procedure to prevent diagnostic confusion later on in life. At the time of surgery, a nasogastric tube may be passed through the duodenum of the neonate to ensure duodenal atresia is not missed. Now let's have a look at how children 
with volvulus are managed. Neonates and children with acute intestinal volvulus need urgent surgical review, and this is needed to avoid and minimise ischemia of the bowel. Usually the volvulus twists clockwise. Thus, in surgery, it's twisted counterclockwise, and then a LADS procedure is done. However, if there is advanced ischemia, the volvulus is reversed and then a relook laparotomy may be considered in 24 to 36 hours time to allow vascular recovery. A plastic transparent silo may be placed to allow better assessment of the bowel. Areas of necrotic bowel may need to be removed and stoma may need to be created. Complications of volvulus include a delayed diagnosis and in this case a child can deteriorate rapidly and death is a real possibility. Post-op volvulus after a LADS procedure is higher risk earlier on and with time the risk reduces as the pedicle is broad and adhesions develop to hold the bowel in place. Short gut syndrome may be an issue if significant lengths of bowel have needed to be resected. Small bowel obstruction is also a complication secondary to adhesions and may be seen in up to 15% of cases. Let's finish off with a quick recap. Intestinal malrotation occurs due to incomplete rotation of the bowel in embryogenesis. LADS bands then extend from the cecum to the lateral abdominal wall and across the duodenum, and this causes a site for potential obstruction. Because the pedicle is rather narrow, a mid-gut volvulus can occur, and when this happens, vascular compromise to the bowel can occur as well. Epidemiologically, my rotation occurs in 1 in 6,000 children, and this usually presents before one year of age. Mid-gut volvulus can occur at any time in a child with a malrotation. However, it most commonly presents in the first few weeks of life. Children with malrotation and no volvulus present with symptoms from obstructing LADS bands or intermittent abdominal pain that is thought to be secondary to intermittent volvulus. Those presenting with acute volvulus often are significantly unwell. These children may have bilious vomiting, they may be irritable and may have hemodynamic compromise. Remember, bilious vomiting in a child younger than one year of age should immediately raise the concern for suspicion of an obstructive lesion including malrotation and a possible volvulus. Investigation modalities include abdominal x-ray where a double bubble sign may be seen in malrotation, contrast study which is the gold standard for diagnosis, and ultrasound, which may show reversal of the SMA and SMV axes. Management of malrotation is through a LADS procedure. Management of volvulus requires urgent surgical review. The volvulus is undone and a LADS procedure is done following this. If there's significant damage to the bowel, resection may also need to occur. And finally, complications of a delayed diagnosis of volvulus include significant morbidity 
and mortality. Post-operative volvulus after LADS procedure can occur, however the risk of this reduces with time as adhesions develop to hold the bowel in place. If a child required significant resection of a bowel due to necrotic bowel, short gut syndrome may be a complication that they experience. Finally, any child who's undergone an abdominal surgery has the risk of having a small bowel obstruction later on from adhesions. And that's been this week's episode of A Spoonful of Medicine. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tell a friend. For the visual learners of us out there, head over to our Instagram page at spoonful.of.medicine for a quick summary of today's episode, along with some other great educational content. If you'd like to get in touch, have a suggestion for a future episode, or have heard something that you think needs a correction, please email us on spoonfulofmedicinepodcast at gmail.com. It's been a pleasure topping up your paediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. I can't wait for you to join us on our next episode. But until then, bye.